At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Well, good morning, Woodside. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, Pastor Jeremy is away not feeling well and asked me to uh, come in and preach this morning. And it's a joy to be with all of you here at our Plymouth location. Uh, As Nathan said, my name is Scott Crosby. I'm one of the pastors uh, at Woodside. And I work with our Global 100 ministry along with our interns and residents. And our Global 100 ministry is a ministry that helps to prepare and train those who desire to be missionaries, uh, specifically all over the world where uh, the name of Jesus hasn't been named yet. Um, And it's a joy to be here this morning at our Plymouth location. Um, I love the team here that God has put together. And uh, actually just last week, I was uh, hanging out with some of our interns and residents. They said, Scott, you got to check out this video. And it was an Instagram video from the Pistons page. And there's Ryan Nast youth pastor here, just going nuts after a Cade Cunningham, you know, basket or defensive play. And I love Ryan. I love Pastor Jeremy. Nathan, thank you for uh, introducing me. And it's uh, great to be here this morning sharing God's word uh, out of Romans chapter 8. And I was here this summer, had the privilege of sharing in our Lamentation series. Uh, At that time, my wife and I uh, had just had our first son, and I was lamenting a little bit of our lack of sleep. Uh, You know, it was some long nights with our son Emerson, and now he's almost six months old, and he's pretty much sleeping through the night, so we praise God for that. Yeah, parents know, uh, that is amazing, although, you know, this morning he woke up a little early, you know, I went went in to see him, I'm trying to tell him, son, we get an extra hour of sleep. Buddy, stay in the crib a little while longer, but he wasn't listening, so next year I'm going to teach him about daylight savings time. Um, But this morning we're in Romans chapter 8. If you'd like to join me uh, in your Bibles or on your devices, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read for us uh, God's Word. And if you would like to stand with me as we read God's Word together out of Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 9 through 17 for us this morning out of Romans chapter 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thus the reading of the Lord. You may take a seat, and I'd love to pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the truths in Romans 8. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit who lives inside of us as believers. For those of us in Christ, we have been set free from sin and death and being enslaved to it, and now are liberated as your sons and daughters to walk with you, God. Help us in whatever we bring this morning, God, to lay it at your feet and to work in our hearts and lives, Holy Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate Pastor Jeremy inviting me out to speak this morning because we find ourselves in the middle of a five-week series on what many would say is the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And last week, if you were here with us at Woodside, we uh, shared just right out of the gate of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that in Christ, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all these amazing things happen, one of which is we are no longer condemned. We do not face condemnation in Christ because Jesus took our place and our penalty and the punishment for sins on the cross. And through faith in him and trusting him, we have received now no condemnation, but also his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is uh, mentioned all throughout the book of Romans, uh, maybe a handful of times in chapters 1 through 7, and a handful more in chapters uh, 9 through 16. But Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 is really highlighting this amazing truth of, uh, for us in Christ, as Christians, we get the Holy Spirit, God, who lives inside of us and empowers us to live and look like Jesus Christ. The Spirit is mentioned probably around 20 times in this chapter alone as we highlight in what it means to be in Christ. This morning, we want you to know through God's Word in Romans chapter 8 that as believers, we are no longer slaves but heirs with Christ. And Paul's lay, Paul lays out these truths in these verses this morning, and it's really a reminder of our identity in Christ and whose we are in him when we place our trust in him. And that's in many ways what I'd like to do this morning, is just to help remember, uh, remind us of our identity in Christ, uh, that we are no longer slaves to the flesh, to sin, but we are heirs with Christ, in Christ. What does that mean? As you look at this series, this five-week series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love and Freed by His Spirit. Um, I kind of had this this thought a few years ago, like this desire, this thing that I wanted to do. And I wanted to go sailing. I'd never been sailing before. Any any, uh, sailors here today? Anyone that uh, enjoy going on the sailboat? And it just like... It looked cool to me. My family, uh, on some summers, go up north uh, on like the Harbor Springs area. They do these sailboat races, and I love looking at the boats and looking at the sailboats. And to me, it just looks so peaceful and so calm and enjoyable. And uh, I was uh, before going into ministry, I was working for HP in business, and uh, this is kind of you know several years ago when I wanted to go sailing. I found myself in an elevator with a guy from work, and we're talking, and he's like, "I'm going sailing this weekend with my wife." I'm like, do I ask him to go? Like, right, I just met this guy in the elevator. Do I ask him to go? And I didn't. I didn't pull the trigger. But a couple years later, a friend from church was into sailing. He said, Scott, do you want to go sailing with me? And in my head, I was like, yes, I want to go sailing with you. He's like, here's the deal. It's a competitive sailing thing. And I 
still to this day, and you'll kind of hear from this story, don't know a lot about sailing, okay? So if you know a lot about it, I'm not going to be able to really, you know, plumb the depths with you here this morning. I don't know a lot about it, but he said to me, you want to come with me? I said, yeah. He said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to have to wake up at 4 a.m. I'm like, okay. And we're going to meet there at 5.30, and you're going to have to bring all this gear. You're going to have to wear not just like shorts and a t-shirt. Like, is shirts optional on the sailboat? I didn't think so. But in fact, he had to wear a jacket and all this stuff because he said, actually, you're going to get a little wet in the sailing. You know, you're going to be the guy on the edge of the boat, and there's going to be a lot of work involved in this. So you're telling me I got to wake up at 4 a.m., you know, I got to wear all this gear and get wet and then work super hard? This is like the trilogy of things I don't want to do when I'm on a sailboat. And so I said no, and I still have never been sailing since. It's like just something I didn't want to do. We think about the work of the Holy Spirit in this chapter. We look at God, uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and the Spirit's work in our life. And in many ways, the Holy Spirit's job is like, when we surrender to him, it's to open the sail, and it's to move forward in God by his power, by his strength. But I think so oftentimes as Christians, we think that to live by the Spirit is up to us to get the power of the Spirit. It's up to us to see transformation in our life. But what Paul is going to show us in these verses is that the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you receive his spirit. And because of that, the first thing we see this morning is you possess spiritual and resurrection life. In verse 9, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So Paul's making a shift here from the previous verses to talk about believers, those who are in Jesus Christ. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And this posi- it's this positional assurance that we have as believers that the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his perfect life that was sinful, sinless, his death on the cross that took the wrath and penalty of sin that you and I deserve, when we trust in Jesus and his life, death, burial, and resurrection, his spirit now lives inside of us. This is reiterated previously in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. And ultimately, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says this, You yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. Did you know that? We now have the Holy Spirit living inside of us as believers. Through faith in Christ, we are no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit. It says here, though, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Um, So let me ask you this this morning. Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Uh, That is what it means to be in Christ, is to simply place your faith and trust in Jesus as life, death, burial, and resurrection. And the moment you do that, your sins are forgiven, and you are set free from sin, and his Spirit now lives inside of you. And for when you make that decision, for us who are believers and walking with Jesus and living for him, now we possess the spiritual and resurrection life. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. 
And Paul goes on to say that if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. See, Paul's saying that the body, anything in and of yourself is not going to bring you um, salvation. Paul is saying here salvation or uh, acceptance from God is not going to come from the body. Our body is decaying and breaking down over time. But there's something inside of us, our spirit, um, that God has given to us that not our body or anything in and of ourselves can set us free or give us salvation, but it comes from God and God along the spirit of life gives us righteousness. He says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that amazing that the spirit dwells in you? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He has made you his home. God's spirit literally lives inside of you when you trust Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing word dwell? Like we think about, you know, this winter season coming up and and you're out at work or out and about, like how good it is to get home and the comfort of your home and to kind of dwell a little bit in the evening. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. God's spirit literally lives inside of us as his sons and daughters so that we walk with him. We have now power over sin so that we don't have to again Uh, fall into sin and temptation. He dwells inside of us. But it says this amazing thing. How do we tap into that? How do we, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and we're believers and we're trying to look like Jesus and live like him, how do we then open the sails? How How does God's Spirit work in our life? How do we do that? Well, it really comes just through surrender and dependence on him. It's saying, God, I need you. It's opening our heart, our hands, saying, God, I need you today. In all things that I do, God, I need you. And you begin to see God's spirit work in your life to transform you. It says, the same spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead also gives life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who dwells in you. God is doing a redemptive work. He did it in salvation and forgiving you of your sins and your trespasses. But now he's doing a redemptive work in the brokenness around you, in the wrestling of sin that you still face. He's given you something to face that, to fight that. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of you. It's a redemptive power. So if you're walking through a struggle today with sin, if you're walking through pain and suffering, if you're walking through hate, hurt, hang-up, relational strain, the Spirit is inside of you to do some redeeming work today. He's inside of you to remind you a few things. And here's in many ways what the Spirit does. Uh, The Spirit is like a floodlight to Jesus. Like he shines Jesus in your life to show his beauty, his glory, his graciousness. The Spirit in Romans 8 chapter 1 says there's no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit uh, in about the middle of the chapter of Romans 8 says no matter what you're walking through, God is working all things out for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And at the end of Romans chapter 8, this is in many ways what the Spirit's job is to help us. This resurrection power is to remind us that nothing can separate you from the love of God. See, the Spirit has given you things that the world cannot take away. He's given us love, joy, peace, and patience, and most, mostly of all, himself. God is with you no matter what. And the same power that rose Christ from the dead now lives inside of you. See, oftentimes in life we think, you know, I have the Holy Spirit, but I have these problems, right? 
But God is reminding us today through this scripture that we have problems in life, but we have the Holy Spirit. So no matter what we face, we always have hope. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 5, that when you face suffering, you know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because the Holy Spirit has been set inside of us, and the love of God is with us no matter what and can't be separated from us. The Holy Spirit is doing a redemptive work in you and also through you today. See, do we oftentimes walk in life like we have the same power that rose Christ from the dead living inside of us? What that means is the agenda you have for today, for this week, the script you have written out maybe for this month or for your life. We have to be dependent and surrendered to the Spirit to be ready for him to bring redemptive work around us to bring redemptive work to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family who are in desperate need of the Spirit who lives inside of us. The second thing we see is that if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, you now owe nothing to the flesh. Let's look at verses 12 and 13 together this morning. You owe nothing to the flesh. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's interesting. Paul is getting at this idea of the flesh in Romans chapter. He talked a lot about it in verses in the first few verses of, of, of uh, Romans chapter 8. He continues to talk about the flesh. So then, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh. We owe nothing to the flesh. What is the flesh. The flesh is the misdeeds of the body and it's uh, immoral things that we do. But in many ways, the flesh is when we set our life, our mind, and our hopes on ourselves instead of on God. The flesh is a self-centered desire for ourselves. Um, it's not just necessarily the immoral, terrible things that we do in this world that's the flesh. It's a mind that's set on self instead of on Christ. It's interesting, in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus gives this little contrast to kind of his followers, and he says the Gentiles. Uh, the Gentiles are people who, who worry about uh, what they will wear and what they will eat and what they will do. See, living in the flesh, in many ways, it's just worrying about the things of this world. It's worrying about what we will wear and worrying about what we will eat and worrying about the next vacation that we'll take. And those things aren't wrong in and of themselves, but when we don't put Christ in the center of our lives and the things of the Spirit, then we find ourselves thinking about the flesh, putting our eyes on ourselves. And he says in verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, what does this mean? I think in many ways, Paul is saying if you live according to the flesh, that is, if you seek to find your life, if you seek to find your acceptance, your purpose in things of this world, you will die. Just like we read in the previous verses, we need God to experience life, love, and salvation. That, that was not meant for any, any created thing to bear in and of itself. See, if you, find, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you say to something, if I have this, then I will have life, that's living in the flesh. If you say to something like, if I don't have that or because I lost that, now I don't have life, that's thinking about the flesh. It's what Paul in many ways is getting at in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 when he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See, what is condemnation? 
it is in many ways a legal term for being guilty, but it's a thought we have when we experience relationship breakdown and we feel condemned because we lost a relationship. It's uh, thinking condemnation comes when we lose our job or lose our position at work or don't have something financially and we feel condemned or we feel like we don't have life because we don't have that thing. But Paul is trying to rewire our thinking to look to God for life, to look to him for satisfaction, to look to him for purpose. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me, after living the perfect life that we couldn't live, he died the death that you and I deserved. And on the cross, his arms were open, and he was pierced for your transgressions and my transgressions so that no sin can now mark you. Nothing of this world can now fully satisfy you. It is only found in him and him alone. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, did you catch that first intro to how to put to death the deeds of the body? It's by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit's power that we now live for Christ. It's not we trust Jesus and become Christians, and now it's up to us to figure all this out. It's by the Spirit's power that we now overcome sin. And what does the, the Spirit in many ways primarily do for us? He reminds us our new identity, that we're sons and daughters of God, so we don't, know to, we don't need to go to things of this world to get purpose and acceptance. He reminds us that nothing can separate us from God's love, and so that when we feel brokenness or hurt, we don't have to go to something of the world to receive satisfaction. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his approval. He's given us his love so that by the spirit, you can put to death the deeds of the body. See, the Holy Spirit sometimes convicts us of something in our life that we need to put to death, something in our life that we need to walk away from. It may be a bad thing, like an immoral thing in your life, or it may be something that you're putting your mind on instead of Christ. And the Spirit convicts us, not condemns us, of how to walk more closely with Jesus, how to love close, more closely Jesus, how to remember his love more, and not the things of this world. But how does that play out? How do we do it? It's interesting, in the Gospels, in Mark chapter 5, uh, there's a demon-possessed man who's struggling, and they can't hold him down, chains can't hold him down. And what happens? Jesus shows up on the scene. And Jesus casts the demons out, and they go into a pit, pigs, and they fall off the cliff and die. But it's God who actually works to cast the demons out and to help heal this man. We see many times in the scripture, Jesus show up on the scene, and things change. See, why are we here this morning? We sing, we worship, we fellowship so that we can experience Jesus Christ. We're not up here just to you know, share a little message and to sing a few songs, but we're here to experience the living God, Jesus Christ, who loved you and died for you so that you can flee the evil desires of you, so that you can step away from sin and walk in newness of Jesus Christ. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament of 1 Samuel chapter 5 where the Philistines uh, are worshiping this um, pagan god. He's like a fish god, I guess, um, and uh, they're worshiping him in 1 Samuel 5, um, and uh, this god Dagon, they, they have uh, rec uh, put up in their temple, and they, at this time, have stolen the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's presence is. And they bring the Ark of the Covenant into their temple in front of the god of Dagon, and they go to sleep, and they wake up in the morning, and the Philistines come out, and god of Dagon is on his face, falling down in the presence of God, in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. 
And so what do they do? They think, well, this seems fishy. Let's, uh, let's put them back up. Let's, let's put them back up and see what happens. I'm sorry, it's a dad joke. Can I make a dad joke? I got a son now. I got to make one dad joke, right? So they bring them back up, and the next night they go to sleep, and they wake up in the morning, and now God Dagon, their false god, their false idol that they're worshiping is down, and his head has been beheaded, and his hands are off. And what do they do? They think this is the presence of God and what God does in our life. God shows us that our idols aren't going to save us or satisfy us like he is. God's presence dispels the things of this world that aren't of him. But what do they do? They try and bring it up again. What do they try and do? They say, we can't have this here anymore. We're going to continue to worship this God. Let's get the tabernacle, or sorry, let's get the ark out of here. Let's get the presence of God out of here. But what we see from that story is when the presence of God is on display, God's power expels sin. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Think about Peter after he's denied Jesus three times. He's denied him. He said, no, I don't worship him. I don't live for him three times. And how does Jesus minister to him? God meets him at the campfire after he rises from the dead and says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs and restores him and gives him his spirit to live in a bold and mighty way to proclaim this redeeming power that has worked in his life. See, Paul tells us that we put to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit. Why? So that you will live. There's a purpose behind it. You will live when you put to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit. You will live. Stand up with God. See, what oftentimes happens with sin is it's not just the sin itself, it's the idol that it represents that we think will give us ultimate satisfaction that, was only, cre- that only God can give us, But there's also sin and guilt attached to sin. Here's the hard part of sin is we feel guilty. We feel shameful. We feel not worthy. But the amazing thing is, is that the Holy Spirit is always with you, no matter what, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So you're not defined by your sin, but you're defined by your Savior. Guilt and shame no longer are on you, but freedom and satisfaction and joy and peace are now defined you as his son and his daughter. We have this in Jesus Christ through faith in him. And that's how we fight against sin. See, think about this. There's darkness in your life. There's darkness anywhere. How do you fight against darkness? Is it like, you know, I saw the um, Cobra Kai, you know, Karate Kid throwback from there. Is it like, we got to get trained up against the darkness? And, you know, who karate chops the darkness, right? You can't, you can't do it. You can't fight darkness on yourself. What do you do? You walk into the room, you turn on the light. You turn on the light and darkness flees. In our life, it's not up to us to pull up, you know, our, our pick pants and fight God, fight, fight sin and do this on our own. No, it's about turning on the light and asking God to illuminate the things in our life that aren't of him and to walk with him by his power, by his spirit, to live for him. And that brings us to um, an amazing final point here this morning. The third thing we see that if the Spirit of God dwells in you, which he does the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you've received adoption into God's family. Paul says this in verses 14 through 17, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Ending this section of Romans, Paul uh, gives the implications of what we've said already. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And in verses 14 through 16, he lays out a couple assurances for believers. See, apart from God, we live in a man-centered hesitation. We live in man-centered unconfidence. But with God, we have this assurance of the truth of Scripture, of who we are and whose we are and what it means to be a Christian. Our destiny is secure Our uh, eternal life has been given and can't be taken away. We're uh, given a new nature, and we are now destined for heaven. We have his spirit living inside of us, these truths. We have assurances. He lays out a couple things for how we have these God-centered assurances. First is that we're led by the spirit. How can you be assured that you are a son or daughter of God? Is that you're led by the spirit. See, the Spirit's job is to illuminate Jesus and desire um, him more. We sang earlier, I'm hungry and thirsty for you, God. That's the work of the Spirit, to want more of Jesus, to desire more of him. We we can be assured by being led by the Spirit. We're also led away from sin. Sin is not something we delight in. Uh, We struggle and we wrestle and sin still remains but it's not ultimately what's going to fully satisfy us. The Spirit reminds us that it's Christ who we live for. It's Christ who has transformed our lives. But secondly, we have assurance in God because we are now free from dread to delight. We no longer fear, but we rejoice because we've been adopted into the family of God. And Paul uses this amazing word for adoption here. He says that um, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. See, God is not just up in heaven waiting for you to screw up again, watching you, ready to come after you and punish you. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that all of the punishment that you and I deserve was firmly fixed on Jesus Christ on the cross for you and for me. He paid the penalty of sins and all the punishment that you and I deserve was taken out on Jesus. So we no longer fear We don't have to walk around worrying or having anxiety because of the things of this world, but fear is removed from our life. Why? Because we have now received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God has adopted you into his family. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, but we have the presence of God living inside of us who calls you his daughter, his son. He loves you with such intimacy, with such closeness. His arms are always open for you, and that's his predisposition towards you as a kid. It's a son. It's a daughter. So now we're his heirs. Everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to us, not through the work that we've done, but through the work that Jesus did on the cross. And he says we can approach him in this amazing way. We can approach him as Abba, Father. So in the Aramaic, Abba is a word that's like daddy. It's a word that communicates love and intimacy. And the hard thing is, is that many of us have faced hard upbringings and our earthly fathers weren't a great representation of God. 
But God is showing us here that there's not a performance-based love that God offers us. There's not a conditional clause that has to be signed in order for us to carry out for God to say, okay, now you can continue to be my son. Now you can continue to be my daughter. We have this great assurance where we're free from dread to delight and rejoice and have peace and love because we've been adopted as his children so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And when does that oftentimes happen? It's when we're struggling. It's when we're hurting. It's when we're down. That's when, when we're weak. That's when God's might is on display. But the world says when you're down, you deserve to be down. Or it covers you with guilt and shame. But what God says is, I delight in you. I rejoice over you. You are my son. You are my daughter who I have adopted, who I am for, who I am with, to now bring redemption to the world around us. In conclusion this morning, I, I thought of a story, um, and uh, this is going to come as a shock to some of you, but in 2012, I ran the Detroit Marathon. I know, I know, it was, it was years ago, it was a while ago, but I, I ran the Detroit Marathon in 2012, and, you know, I trained for it starting in the spring, and, um, you know, I was doing my long runs as best as I could, and I was plodding along in my training and my preparation, and then all of a sudden race day came. And I lived at downtown Detroit at the time, and I lived about a mile from the starting line, so I thought, well, let me wake up about an hour, not wake up, but get ready about an hour early to walk to the starting line, uh, get my warm-up in, and I still brisk walk and get there. Well, I was running a little bit behind, and I get about halfway to where the starting line is, I realize I got about... 10 minutes to get there, five minutes to get there, so I have to start my jog a little early, right? So I might be one of the first guys to run a 26.7 mile marathon, uh, but I got there, and, you know, I start, I start running, I'm going through everything, and, um, you know, it's a grind, it's grueling, um, and thankfully, you know, about halfway through, a friend from high school I hadn't seen in a while, he starts running alongside of me and encourages me, but in the Detroit Marathon, um, you get to Belle Isle, and it's like completely exposed. There's no like big trees or buildings to block the wind. So and now you're also 20 miles in, which, you know, is just ridiculous in and of itself. But, you know, you're just, the wind is whipping at you, and you're tired, and you're going. And I get somehow get past Belle Isle, and I get around Cobo Hall, and I'm coming to what looks like the finish line. And I get up over the hill, and I see the finish line. And I have literally zero gas in the tank. Like, I am done. My legs are cramping up. They won't move forward. My body is shutting down. I'm sweating. Like, now, like, just, like, like salt is, you know, just coming out of me. And I'm, like, my nipples are bleeding. I'm sorry, TMI. Uh, but I am just, like, struggling at this point. And I see the finish line, though, and I got this. And I get to the finish line, and it's not the finish line. It was like a false finish line. There's still literally like a mile to go. And I literally cannot do it. Like, I'm just going to, like, is there a cart that can carry me there? I'm just going to cripple over here and just lay down for a little while. Like, I have nothing. But during this whole race, my parents were watching. And I wasn't sure where my parents were. They were watching me run somewhere, you know, around Detroit. And as I get to this moment where I think I'm done, but I'm not done, and I have zero strength left, I look on the course, and there's my dad. Like, my dad is on the, you're not even supposed to be on the course. And I'm, like, done, and I'm, like, running what feels like I'm still running, but it's probably like this, you know? And I look over, I'm like, Dad? Like, you're not supposed to be here. 
Dad, what are you doing here? He says, son, you got this. Son, there's the finish line. Son, it's just ahead. Son, I'm with you. Keep going. Don't stop. And it just gave me the energy and motivation to know that my dad is with me. He's watching me. He saw me. And even if I didn't make the race, he was still going to love me no matter what. And here this morning, you may be carrying in some baggage. You may be struggling with life. And sin may be feeling like it's getting you down. You may be feeling like the, the elements have exposed you and you're beaten down and broken and just feeling like you're laying down. Here's the good news of Romans 8, is that your Abba Father is with you in this race. He's saying, do you see ahead? That's where I'm leading you. That's where I'm taking you. And though you may fall again, I am with you and I love you no matter what. Amen? That's the truth we have in our Abba Father, is that he's with you and his spirit lives inside of you. So no matter whatever you're facing today, he's with you to continue moving you forward. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.